Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope this day finds your life obstacle-free and heading in the direction that you want it to go. Remember, courage isn't having the strength to go on. It's going on when you don't have strength. And the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. Let's take this time and slip into a little darkness. A. Philip Randolph was the most important civil rights leader to emerge from the labor movement. Throughout his long career, he consistently kept the interests of black workers at the forefront of the racial agenda. Whereas civil rights leaders such as W.E.B. DuBose argued that the problem of the 20th century was the color line, Randolph concluded that it was the question of the common man. Randolph's politics were rooted in the World War I era. A child of hard-working parents who respected learning, he left Crescent City, Florida for New York City in 1911. Working during the day and studying at the city college at night, Randolph broadened his intellectual horizons as he read modern economics and political writers, including Marx. This theoretical grounding predisposed him to view the black working class, not the black elite, as the major hope for black progress. In 1917, Randolph and his friend Chandler Owen founded The Messenger. The magazine's intellect and spirit criticized President Woodrow Wilson as readily as Booker T. Washington and DuBose. Its approval of the Bolsheviks' revolution was cited by various government watchdogs during the Red Scare of 1919, although Randolph always resisted the appeal of the communists. The post-war reaction limited the possibilities of working-class organizations, but after a few false starts, Randolph, in 1925, became the general organizer of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Following a long struggle, the Porters, an overwhelmingly black group, won an election and then a contract with the railroads in 1937. The victory made Randolph the leading black figure in the labor movement. He headed the new National Negro Congress, an umbrella movement of mass organization, but resigned in 1940, believing the group was controlled by communists. So striking out independently, he organized the March on Washington in 1941 which succeeded in pressuring President Franklin D. Roosevelt to issue an Executive Order 8802 
banning discrimination in defense industries. After the war, a similar technique led by President Harry S. Truman ordered desegregating the army. While expanding his targets, Randolph never forgot the interests of black workers and was a constant critic of discrimination in some unions. The originator of the March on Washington in 1963, Randolph aimed to obtain government sponsorship of black jobs. My friends, I never heard who the originator on Martin Luther King's march was. Although his goal was overshadowed by the demands of the Southern Civil Rights Movement, Randolph's understanding of the economic needs of blacks predated the riots that drew the nation's attention to them. Just after the Civil War, the Chicago businessman George M. Pullman began hiring thousands of African-American men, including many former slaves, to serve white passengers traveling across the country on his company's luxury railroad sleeping cars. But while they were underpaid and overworked and endured constant racism on the job, the Pullman porters would eventually help to fuel the great migration, shape a new black middle class, and launch the civil rights movement. In 1859, as the railroads were expanding their reach across America, Pullman convinced the Chicago, Alton, and St. Louis Railroad to let him convert two old passenger cars into new and improved sleepers. These more comfortable, luxurious sleeping cars were an instant hit, affording wealthier passengers the amenities they were accustomed to at home and allowing middle-class travelers to enjoy a taste of the good life. The first Pullman Porter began working aboard the sleeping cars around 1867, and it quickly became a fixture of the company's sought-after traveling experience. Just as all his specially trained conductors were white, Pullman recruited only black men, many of them from the former slave states in the South, to work as porters. Their jobs were to lug baggage, shine shoes, set up and clean the sleeping berth to serve passengers. Now, there was no shame in George Pullman's game, and he was open about his reason for hiring Negro porters. He reasoned that former slaves would know best how to cater to his customers' every whim, and they would work long hours for cheap wages. He also thought that black porters, especially those with darker skin, would be more visible to his white upper and middle class passengers, making it easier for them to feel comfortable during the journey. He was looking for people who had been trained to be the perfect servant. 
He knew they would come cheap and he could pay them next to nothing. And he knew there was never a question off the train that you would be embarrassed by running into one of these Pullman porters. But despite the undeniable racism behind Pullman's employment practices, he ended up giving advantages to people who desperately needed them. In the early 1900s, a time when many other businesses wouldn't hire African American, Pullman Company became the largest single employer of black men in the country. And working as a Pullman porter became a good job, even a career. And many brothers, sons, and grandsons of porters followed in their footsteps. Porters were paid more than what many other black workers made at that time, and the work was not backbreaking. When compared to field labor, more importantly, they got to travel the country at a time when this was unthinkable for the vast majority of black Americans. And as Pullman porters became famous for their superior service, many former porters moved on to jobs at fine hotels and restaurants, and some even moved up to the White House. Porter J.W. Mays first served President William McKinley in his sleeping car. He would later spend more than four decades in the White House, serving McKinley and eight presidents who followed him. But you know it, along with the opportunities they enjoyed, Pullman porters undoubtedly had to put up with a good deal of prejudice and disrespect. Many passengers called porters boy or George after George Pullman, regardless of their real names. This was an uncomfortable throwback to slavery, when slaves were named after their owners. Pullman porters often worked 400 hours a month, with little time off. While their salaries were envied in the black community, they were amongst the worst paid of all trained employees. Tipping was built into the pay structure, which saved the company money, but encouraged porters to solicit tips, fueling their later reputation as grinning Uncle Toms, who exaggerated their servitude to increase their tips. By the mid-1890s, the American Railway Union had organized most Pullman employees but refused to include black workers, including porters. Formed in 1925, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, BSCP, was organized by A. Philip Randolph, a social activist and publisher of the political and literary magazine, The Messenger. Now, there was strong opposition by the Pullman Company. Randolph and the BSCP had to fight for more than a decade 
before securing their first collective bargaining agreement and the first ever agreement between a union of black workers and a major U.S. company. In 1937, in addition to a big wage hike for porters, the agreement set a limit of 240 working hours a month. Randolph and other BSCP figures would go on to play key roles in the civil rights movement, helping to influence public policy in Washington, D.C. that ultimately led to the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Edgar D. Nixon, a Pullman porter and leader of the local BSCP chapter in Montgomery, Alabama, was instrumental in starting the bus boycott in that city following Rosa Parks' arrest in December 1955. Because he was often out of town working as a porter, Nixon enlisted a young minister, Martin Luther King Jr., to organize the boycott in his absence. That's history, and that's fact. Straight up and straight at you. The 1920s marked a high point of business for the Pullman Company. The emergence of the automobile and the airplane as alternative modes of travel cut significantly into railroad business over the decades that followed. By 1950, passenger train service was on the decline, and in 1969, the Pullman Company ended its sleeping car service. But by then, you know what? The impact of the Pullman porters had stretched far beyond the railroads, with lasting economic, social, and cultural effects. From the beginning, porters had served as a changing agent's for their communities, carrying new musical forms, jazz and blues, for example, and new radical ideas from urban centers to rural areas and from north to south. Their influence undoubtedly helped fuel the Great Migration, during which some six million African Americans relocated from the South to the urban regions of the North and West. And by viewing the lives of wealthier white Americans up close, Pullman porters were able to see clearly the difference between these lives and their own. Armed with this knowledge, many porters saved up money to send their children and grandchildren through college and graduate school giving them the education and opportunities they hadn't had themselves. And in turn, these children and grandchildren would form the nation's growing black professional class, many of them going on to become outstanding figures in a vast array of different fields. From law, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, Politics, San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown, Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley, and journalism, 
Ethel L. Payne of the Chicago Defender to music jazz pianist Oscar Peterson and sports Olympic track star Wilma Rudolph. Wow, there it is. Pullman Porters, one of the background figures in our history. Men that rode the railroads and took the message to the South that life was better not being under Jim Crow. They told of being black in the North and the advantages they had over their friends and relatives and their once Southern hometowns. My friends, today has been a history day for real. And that music tells me that it is that time for real. So I will leave you with this. It's good to remember that success may be just beyond the next failure. And you'll get there, not because you're destined to, but because you're determined to. Until next time, my friends, it has been my honor. <laughs>